What you're about to hear is of a general nature and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation, needs or objectives. We recommend you seek financial advice before making any decisions about your super and consider the relevant Unisuper product disclosure statement. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Super Informed Radio, the podcast where we help you wade through the complexities of super and the broader world of finance. As usual, I'm Marta. I'm Rob. And I'm Lyndon. Now, spending and saving is changing like never before, I think we would all agree, from payment cards to Bitcoin, even smiling as payment in certain parts of the world, Marta, I believe that's a thing, is that right? Oh yes, I'm not lying here. Um, In doing some research for this episode, I came across a piece by the BBC which was talking about how in some parts of China you can actually smile as a form of payment using facial recognition technology akin to what kind of goes on at airports. It's a bit black mirror, but in a good way. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, tech disruptors are changing some of the core pillars of finance and the way we think about and use money. And while many people are keen to embrace these changes with open arms, there are a few things we should probably be looking out for. Yeah, and once you do actually find an app or an online service that does work for you, there's been some new amazing advancement that uh, takes us all by surprise and sweeps us all off our feet. Yeah, so to provide a bit of a lowdown on these emerging technologies or the uberization of finance, as it were, we've got Dan Nguyen, Unisuper's Head of Digital Strategy, and we've also got Marlene Sadai, Unisuper's Manager for Financial Crime Response, to bring us back down to earth and let us know what we should be aware of before venturing into this brave new world. All right, let's get into it. Let's do it. So Dan, Marlene, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. No worries. From what I've gathered and read and done a bit of digging around, um, it seems that like the Uberization or the digital revolution has turned its beady eyes to finance and flipped the way we go about spending and saving our money on its head. Dan, what kind of changes have we seen and um, how far will it go? Whoa, that's a, that's a very big question, how far <laughs> it will go. It, it really does feel like a lot has been happening in this space as of late. Mm-hmm. When we talk about Uberization, I guess there are a lot of aspects to what that potentially could mean. So, so for example, uh, a lot of people think about Uber and the, the user experience that Uber's been able to create the ability to actually set up an account at three o'clock in the morning whilst you're intoxicated and be able to get yourself home (laughs) safely. I think that's an amazing type of um, journey that the actual customer has been able to do. On the flip side, they've also got a really great onboarding process for their drivers as well. So that's a a, a very important aspect of what Uber's brought to the table that Mm -hmm. In terms of a customer experience perspective, you can you'll be able to see come through to financial it's services. A lot, like it's a lot slicker and oh. faster, and um, frictionless. There are no issues. Like people are just there's the the expectation is that now people want that same experience everywhere, everywhere else. Everywhere else, yeah. and that and that will definitely come through to to financial services. Another aspect of Uberization is just the the platform that they've created. So a peer to peer type of platform whereby you're connecting supply and demand together quite seamlessly. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've seen that in Airbnb as well and, and, and other platforms. And it's going to be interesting to see how that's going to come through to the finance space. We've seen it in peer-to-peer lending. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've come across organisations like Society One in Australia. So they, they kicked how, off... How do they work? Instead of going to a bank 
to borrow money, um, you can go to um, this platform called Society One and allows you to request for a loan for, uh, up to $50,000. And the people who loan you the money are other, uh, just investors. So they're not institutions or anything like that. They just use the, the platform that Society One put together. They do credit checks. So they do go off and do credit checks. The platform, that's all built into the platform, but it allows investors and people who need money to, to come together and, and uh, meet a, a need and a demand. And if you want to avoid the banks or a bit scared yeah. of them, it's probably a way to do so. Exactly right. So in Australia, it, it hasn't really taken off that quickly, but yeah. in the States, it's absolutely massive. There's um, organisations, an organisation called The Lending Club, mm-hmm. and they've been doing really, really well. Why do you think that is, or do we, is there any sort of info out there that says why Australians, or why we tend to be a little bit reluctant to dip our toes in those, in, in at least in this lending lens? In the lending lens? Um, <laughs> I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I think... Mm. In certain aspects, we are innovators, but for the majority of things, we, we are slow adopters. We like to see things come to fruition before we, we pick things up. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's part of the, our culture or or whether the focus in regards to delivering these services are, are targeted to bigger markets mm-hmm. and then slowly it comes across to, to us. I guess moving to like talking about Aussies being, or Australians generally being slower adopters or sort of later to the party, Millennials and younger people tend to be groups of people who like to be, try things first. And I've come across some research and some writing out there that have talked about micro-investing apps like Acorns and stuff where young people see that as a bit of a dip in the dip in the investing space. How, do, how does that work? Yeah, so um, this is a, an area really close to my heart, oh, yeah. uh, micro-investing. I think it's, it's something that I feel creates really positive habits, mm-hmm. um, especially for young people who've got a, a really long time horizon in terms of their financial future and, and investing. The way that these micro savings uh, companies work is they're really slick in terms of their the user interface. But what it does allow them to, uh, it allows uh, customers to actually visualise where their savings are, are taking them towards. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that, there's, there's, lo- there's lots of charts and projections and things like that. But the, the power of what it does is it, it creates a model whereby younger people can put aside a small amount of money regularly without impacting their lifestyle too much, which will make a huge difference in 40 years' time, for example. Sounds kind of easy and too good to be true. Yeah, well, that's the point of it. That, that, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's how they've been able to pick up on a market who weren't really too au fait with financial financial services. Or jumping straight into like the ASX or the exactly, stock market. Exactly, exactly right. So they make it really, really easy. You can set up an account really quickly and you can get going really, really quickly. Yeah, I quite like Acorn's approach, actually. One of the things that does sort of, I guess, irk me a little bit is that you have to hand over your bank login, don't you? Your client ID yeah. and that sort of stuff to them. And does that not concern other people? Like, <laughs> well, what's your view on uh, it that? It concerns me. Yeah. Um, it definitely concerns concerns me. I, I guess they do what they do so well that a lot of their customers don't realise what they're actually handing over. So what Rob's referring to is the fact that these applications, what they do is you log in, you hand over your username and password for your banking institutions, and then they log in on your behalf and they look at your statements and then they can round up transactions. So for example, part of the Acorns proposition is you can choose to round up all of your expenditure to the nearest dollar or to the nearest five dollars. 
for them to do that, they need to actually log into your account and get that data to work out what that value is going to be. For us, it's, it's something that we can't work with at this point in time, but there's, there's a lot of work being done in the financial sector within Australia with open banking, which will open the path to uh, legitimately get access to one's financial data. So the whole concept of each indiv- individual person owning their own financial data and being able to authorise organisations to use it on my behalf is something that's going to be really powerful and I think it's going to change the way that services like Acorns work in the future. So I sensed that our resident fraud expert, Marlene, (laughs) (laughs) uh, your ears were pricking up there, Marlene, when we were talking about things like um, peer-to-peer lending and, you know, handing over bank details. So from a fraud perspective as our resident expert in that area, what are some of the concerns that you've got about some of the things that Dan's been talking about? I'll just touch firstly in relation to the benefits that um, Dan raised as well about the customer experience, being able to transact faster, being able to do things at any point in time, whether it's 3 a.m. or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Everyone works differently and people like different levels of service and interactions as well. So I think it's the way in which we are evolving and moving towards, which will bring great benefits. However, there are risks, as there always is with, uh, with these sort of things. And, and, you know, the other thing around Australians being slower adopters to some of these uh, newer technology and, and uh, ways of operating. The Faster Payments platform was introduced in the UK about 10 years ago, perhaps. Sorry, is that the new, the, the new, the new, the new, payments, the new plat- payments platform? The new payments platform, yep, about 10 years ago. And, and we're only starting to get up to speed in there as well. It is, however, not immune to frauds and scams. You know, some of the type of frauds that we typically tend to see in this area are called your malicious misdirection scams, uh, where victims uh, tend to believe that they're paying someone that they know and is legitimate, but instead they're tricked into making a payment into another account because it mirrors the account that they believe they're paying into. Right. Um, And malicious payee scams as well, which are victims try to make a payment for goods or services that they... So online shopping, goods and services that you promised. Um, and, and what tends to happen is you actually make a payment into the scammer's account um, and you don't receive your goods or service or they're substandard and those sort of things. So I guess, you know, in previous time, or currently now when we do online shopping or we transfer money to people, it takes a few days and that's people's yep. expectations. But when you're removing that time frame, it can increase the risk that something can go wrong. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and, and some of the things around that as well, some of the risks that, that we need to be aware of are things like it takes the bank much less, or the, the bank needs a lot more time than what it actually takes for that tra- uh, transaction to take place to actually stop and question the transactions. Uh, so they need a lot more time to do investigations, whereas historically, like you mentioned, they would have a couple of days to actually do that, sometimes a bit longer as well, depending on banking institutions. Now they have probably less than a minute to actually do that as well. So mm-hmm. that detection uh, capability has not yet come up to scratch in terms of what we actually need to be able to identify these. And the interesting thing is we we love the flexibility that it gives us. We love the experience that it gives us as well. But the, the, the big thing to remember in the, these scenarios is that banks are generally not liable for the losses where there's incorrect information or wrong account information given as well. So these scam sort of things where historically, because there's that turnaround time of a few days, the money hasn't actually gone through 
completely, whereas now, because it's gone through in a matter of less than a minute, and I think some of the banks say, you know, a few seconds is what it takes to actually go through, and you can't get the money back. So you actually don't get reimbursed for things where you potentially, historically, you would on the longer time frame as well. So even even if they are able to track this to the fraudster or the scammer's account, what, what would happen is that you need to get the authorities to get the money back in order to be reimbursed for those fraudulent funds. So there is that knock that you, you end up taking as well, which goes back to how you actually secure your own passwords and, and your own uh, banking details and things like that, and actually going in fully informed in terms of what the actual situation is. Mm-hmm. Marla, can I just yes. uh, ask you a quick question? So you just mentioned just then that uh, banks are not liable for losses that, in, that are incurred as a result of specific things. Do you think there's a misconception out there that the banks will always pay up so that's why I don't need to be diligent about my my digital uh, security? I think that's a large part of it, Dan, because um, historically what would happen, even the bank would generally identify these issues first and, and the way in which they identify it is because they have factors that they're looking for or keywords that they're looking for in the transactions um, and that's outside of your typical customer profile for yourself for instance mm-hmm. whereas they would have had a couple of days to actually go through that monitoring process and pick up the anomalies now they've got once you hit the button to send that money is across the money is gone in a matter of seconds and they're unable to pick that up and when they do pick it up, it's on the back end as well. So they're writing these and, and um, incorporating these into the terms and conditions of the account and the agreement when you sign up to, to actually go down this path and utilize the software or the platform itself. So it's something to be fully aware of. And start um, reading the T's and C's. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Which is, yeah, which is really quite interesting. And I think some of the things to look out for, particularly around the scams that are going around as well, is don't get caught up with the trickery that comes into it Mm because there is a lot of that. And some of the common methods that scammers use to ensure that you, to hassle you, to make a payment very quickly as well, which comes into play here as well because the quicker you make a payment, the quicker it's gone through Um, and the less likely you are to recover those monies as well. And then you are out of pocket for a number of these particular things. Um, And like I said, old-fashioned trickery is the biggest source of financial fraud in this day and age, funny enough. And scammers tend to use text, emails, phone calls. Uh, They use bullying tactics. They try to rush you over over the phone call. And, you know, accepting emails and those sort of things that come through with links. The age old thing, do not click on the link. You know, that that's still really valid information because what tends to happen is that's the way that they can pick up personal information because with the new payments platform, you know, your your username or I'm not sure what, what it's actually called, but you actually pay utilize ID, pay yeah, your yeah. pay ID, you actually utilize your phone number, your email address. Um, and if you are set up in that, that way as well, they can use that to mirror your actual account, yet redirect the funds to an underlying bank account that's not yours as well. We're finding that those emails are looking a lot mm. more legitimate than yep. what they used to a few years ago. So um, a lot less typos. Yep. Um, sometimes you can't even tell. That's um, correct. By just looking at it these days, whereas yep. in the in the past you could you could take a glance at it and say, well, that obviously doesn't look right. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to get very interesting in this space. It is because now they can actually even clone or, or mirror email accounts that look very similar mm. to something you're expecting from an actual organization as well. Mm. But it's about bearing in mind, looking for those anomalies. You know, if you're not expecting something, don't click on the link. You rather just pick up 
If it's a company, call their direct line on an established number that you know. Things like emails, don't click on the links, just call them up. And if it's a legitimate email from a company, then there's no harm done and they'll actually appreciate that as well because it's a hassle for them as well in as part of the process. So a lot of people are already using these kinds of new apps and new services and things. And I, I guess there are more of us in the world now. So obviously the incidence of scams and fraud and all that sort of stuff is going to increase um, naturally. Do we have any kind of sense of whether, like, how often these things happen? Yes, they happen, but how often do they happen and what's the level of risk that they might happen to you? Look, based on historic stats, um, it happens every second of the day. And and they, they're using botnets more and more. So, you know, the robo-technology, while our technology for security and those sort of things are changing and enhancing, the fraudsters tend to amend their strategies based on that as well. Because they too have AI, they too have access to um, monitoring software and those sort of things. They're quite tech savvy. Um, and sometimes they just go back to age old things like paper-based stuff. They send you a letter instead. They'll make, you, they'll make a phone call instead. Those sort of things, whatever way they can actually get across to you. So the scams are happening all the time. The issue is that, like Dan said, even the emails are looking so legitimate these days that you don't even know you are being scammed until you are. it's happened to you. And what you find is sometimes people don't own up to it because they'll just bear the loss because it's, it's a bigger source of embarrassment to admit that you've been scammed or something like this has happened to you. So you, you won't find most of them reported as a bit well. of a shame because I think the more you share those stories, the more likely someone else will be a little bit more aware and go, oh, okay, I better be, like, if anything comes up now, I know that that's out there, I'll ignore it or delete it. Exactly right. And I think one of the biggest things, uh, sorry, the two big things recently were, were things like the ATO scams where people have been calling random people and saying you owe the ATO money, get iTunes gift cards, all these sort of things. And also the other one is the emails with the links, the AGL bills, you know, that's Mm -hmm. been coming around. People have been getting them. They get through company firewalls and those sort of things. So it's, it's, not just those particular ones. Those are the, the ones that are more likely to come through. Uh, but as we catch on that that's what the fraudsters are doing, they change their, their, their way of operating again. And they generally tend to target particular people of a certain age, certain demographic. They, that generally tends to happen, unfortunately, as well. Marlene, I've got a, an yes. email from an Arabian princess back at my desk. <laughs> that it looks legitimate fine, to me, yeah. but I might get you to cast your sure eye over thing. it. It doesn't sound here. suspicious. Anyway, no, I don't no. think so. <laughs> What, and I guess this is a question for both of you, Dan and Marlene, so what basic tips can you give our members who are doing, you know, online banking or just general cyber security sort of tips just for for them to be vigilant and in control of what they're doing? Yeah, look, I I would think, um, you know, in terms of at home is ensuring that your home network and your home Wi-Fis are safe. Um, you, You don't have any unsecured Wi-Fi access, so make sure you have passwords, really strong passwords as well, is really important because anything can happen at home. And then once you infiltrate it at home, there's a lot of, just think about the data and information that you keep on your on your system. Uh, make sure your passwords are strong. If you don't ever feel rushed into doing something, so if you get a phone call or an email, don't feel like you need to address it then and there and quickly transfer the money across. Just make sure that you do your due diligence. And it will, 
it'll be better for you in the long run, even if you delay a little bit um, and then get that done. Uh, just one little tip that might be worthwhile mentioning is uh, Google is a source of, of uh, lots of information. So if something doesn't quite look right, a lot of people may have posted articles about that on, yeah. on Google. So it's a good, very good starting point. There are um, a lot of like scam. Peer, there are a lot of peer forums like Whirlpool and that kind of thing where people will write about their experiences. Yeah. Like I sometimes use that to double check and see what people have said about certain things. Exactly. And, and things like the Scam Watch website as well uh, mm-hmm. very easily pops up. What are the latest scams that are coming across? And these are all most mostly bullying tactics just to get the money out, just to pressure you to giving uh, personal information as well. So they're all good resources to use, actually. So while we should embrace technology and welcome it with open arms, let's read the T's and C's. And protect it and change our passwords every so often. <laughs> strong passwords. Strong passwords. Yes, strong passwords. <laughs> protect yourself because the technology is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, great experiences and that's what we're all trying to achieve at the end of the day. Indeed. Well, Dan and Marlene, thank you so much for joining us here on Super Inform Radio. We uh, have enjoyed your insights and I hope our members have too. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. So guys, I think there was a lot to process there from Dan and Marlene, but I think it's important for you, our listeners, to remember that we're not trying to scare you off on any of these kinds of things. We just make sure you do your research and read up on it before you sign the dotted line. And that's all for this episode of Super Informed Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, You can catch up on past episodes at unisuper.com.au forward slash podcasts or subscribe to us through any good podcast app. And we'll see you next time. See you later. Bye for now.